The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, welcome. Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world. And what I like to put a special emphasis on our most valuable asset, our human capital. So today I'm delighted to have as my guests Robert E. Johnson Jr. and John Kleiman to talk about one of my favorite topics, innovation. Specifically, we'll focus on how to link creativity and strategy, which is a powerful combination that can lead to all kinds of opportunities. But first, let me tell you a little bit about John and Bob. They are both with Insignium, an international consulting firm with a proprietary methodology for enterprise performance transformation, innovation, and catalyzing breakthrough results. As a consultant for Insignium, Bob helps clients pursue innovative growth opportunities and elevate their existing practice for company-wide innovation. He's authored numerous articles on innovation and co-authored a book with Doug Bate called The Power of Strategy Innovation, a new way of linking creativity and strategic planning to discover great business opportunities. John is a leader of Insignium's design and innovation team, where he provides critical insights and leadership to develop to the, to the development of Insignium's innovation consulting. John and Bob, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Thank you. Thank you so much, Olivia. Thank you for having John and me on your program. My pleasure. So my listeners have heard me talk a lot about innovation And as a data scientist, I see most linear processes being automated or outsourced. So I feel innovation is really important for survival in business. And you write about this process called strategy innovation. What is strategy innovation and how did this process come about? Right. Well, strategy innovation is a methodology that enables an organization to align on a preferred future for the company by identifying new ways to create new value for the customer. Uh, Apple Computer is able to do it right continuously, and Eastman Kodak could not. But honestly, Olivia, um, strategy innovation was really born in the mid-80s out of frustration. (laughs) We, We were frustrated that our success rate 
in product and service innovation wasn't as high as we felt it should be. Mm. And as we stepped back to research what was working and what wasn't working, what we discovered was in most cases where we were unsuccessful, it was typically due to a lack of alignment across senior leadership on their growth strategy. So with strategy innovation, what we began to do was help companies define what their preferred future might be. And then on the other side of that, what we found was that not only did our success rate dramatically leap north, but we were also able to accelerate speed to market. Interesting. So if you were then pursuing, if, if let's say if a client came to you today, then you probably would start out at the leadership level. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, strategy innovation is not strategic planning. Mm-hmm. We believe you do strategy innovation first, then do strategic planning. So let me distinguish between the two, because I suspect most of your listeners um, are quite skilled at doing strategic planning. Yes. So strategic planning typically consists and has attributes where it's analytical, it's typically numbers-driven, company-centric, it's logical and linear, it's planning from today to tomorrow, it extends current value, and it fits the current business model. Strategy innovation, by contrast, (laughs) is creative versus analytical, insights-driven versus numbers-driven, market-centric versus company-centric. It involves iterative leaps for creating new value. You plan from tomorrow back to today. You look to create new value instead of simply extending today's value. And lastly, it's all about the creation of new business models, new ways of doing business, new ways of delivering that new value. So you could actually even be perhaps innovating products or services that would make some of your own existing products and services obsolete in this model, it sounds like. Is that true? Absolutely, Olivia. Um, We've we've done a lot of work um, with the Hewlett-Packard company around the world, and Hewlett-Packard is one company who believes that it first wants to disrupt itself before the competition does. Interesting. Okay, so that answers it. And I think that's probably difficult for some leaders. <laughs> they, they may resist that. <laughs> Is that. Have you had examples of that or situations where they want to come in and innovate, but the, what you tell them to do makes them hesitant? <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think 
one of the points that Bob made that I want to underscore is uh, it's really about a shift in focus. Uh, so in most organizations, when they talk about strategy, uh, when they talk about the future, they're not really talking about the future uh, as an ideal. Uh, you know, we think sometimes about the future as this wide open space, anything's possible, we can create, we can invent, we can innovate. But when it comes down to actually developing their strategic plan, their frame of reference oftentimes is more rooted in the past. What have we done before? Where have we had success? Where have we had failures? Excuse me. And then extrapolating that past out into the future to give them a sense of the predictable landscape. So that's Kodak, for example. That exactly. Didn't see outside of their type of camera. Kodak, Seiko with the watch, you know, with uh, in, in, in overtaking the Swiss uh, watch manufacturers who mm. couldn't see beyond, uh, you know, the ball bearings and, and, the, and the intricate movements. And, you know, the history is littered with companies that couldn't see beyond their existing perspective and their existing point of view. So part of what makes strategy innovation so powerful is, as Bob said, we actually have companies stand out in the future, Mm -hmm. actually create and articulate the future from the future, one that is both inspiring, exciting, challenging, yet within the realm of what they see as possible. And then once that future has become articulated, then the work begins of how are we going to build that bridge from our current reality to what we aspire to. Okay. So, and you mentioned earlier, I think, John, about it being insights driven. So for people, let's say you have a leadership team, if they're usually going over old reports to see trends and things. And you say, no, we're not going to look at any of that right now. We just want to be really creative, brainstorm, um, see what what inspires us, what are some possibilities. I, I could imagine that, that it really would take a whole different way of thinking. Do you, do you come in and work with teams and actually coach them into how to actually do this? Yes, uh, Olivia, at the very highest level, with leadership, we believe that there are only two operations that leadership is accountable for. The first is what might be described as sustaining the fortress. Mm. And sustaining the fortress is all about protecting and extending the way we do business today. It's all about operational excellence, and it's all about rewarding stakeholders in the near term. There's no question that that's critical, it's pivotal, and you need to keep your eye on it. The second operation that's also critical is what might be described as creating the future. Mm -hmm. And creating the future is all about identifying those new growth opportunities that will ensure the vitality of the organization in the long term. So strategic planning is all about sustaining the fortress Mm -hmm. in most companies. 
and strategy innovation is all about creating the future. And I guess the balance of it is key, is, is really the, the point. Yeah, I, one of the things that we often tell our clients in this process is that they need to have one foot firmly planted in reality, mm-hmm. right? They need to understand their business. They need to understand the competition. They need to understand both internal and external factors that both give them opportunities but also represent threats to the organization. But then the other foot needs to be firmly planted in the realm of possibility, of what's possible, what could be, what kind of an organization or company are we interested in being, what inspires us. And if they can keep that balance of reality and possibility, we found that they can really produce some extraordinary results. Interesting. So do you think innovation can help any company? The short answer is yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the, the part of the proof of that is um, wandering through any Fortune 500 graveyard and um, seeing how many companies simply forgot to keep their eye on the future, new growth. And um, the enabler for that um, is we believe innovation. Mm-hmm. A, a, a quick example, Olivia. Um, our firm has been involved with supporting uh, and volunteering with an organization called the Product Development and Management Association. And I had the privilege of serving on their board and being their president um, a couple of years ago. And it's an organization that was started in the mid-70s by academics, and over time it's grown globally so that now there are thousands of members around the world, and it's considered the leading global advocate for the practice of successful product innovation and management. Mm. In the late 70s, Dr. Thomas Hustad, who's on the faculty until recently at the University of Indiana, business school. He's now retired. Tom did a um, survey of all of the courses in the world that had innovation in the title. And he came up with a list of 50. During my tenure, I asked a graduate student from Boston University to do a similar survey except I asked her to find and identify the number of courses, degree-granting programs in the world that had innovation in the title, and she identified over a 100. So in about three decades' time, you had innovation move from really not being part of the global business landscape to today where it's central to the business landscape. Interesting. And a lot of Daniel Pink's work has been around the need for this kind of creative thinking in in business. I I think I was sharing with one of you in a prior call that I had put my son through school for a degree in design and just at the end found out that that was the hottest skill or the hottest degree on the planet. 
um, that actually companies are craving people with innovation degrees. So that makes a lot of sense. I think if I had my life to do over, I'd go back and major in innovation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and I think more and more you know business leaders are recognizing that uncertainty, change, in some cases radical or disruptive change, has become the new normal. Mm-hmm. So whereas a company 15, 20, certainly 30 years ago could have said, this is our business model, we figured it out, we know how to do it as well if not better than anyone, and we just need to keep turning the crank, if you will. Uh, I would say, you know, uh, you won't find too many business leaders in today's day and age that hold on to that mindset. And if you do, they don't stick around for very long. Um, And that most global executives would say that innovation is at the top of their list of things that they have their attention on. And at the same time, very few of them will tell you that they feel equipped or prepared to meet that challenge. Interesting. So they recognize it at least, which is great, and they know they need help. It, it, it is something that I think, especially for a leader who needs things to be in control, is going to struggle a lot with this because, of course, like you said, everything is changing quickly. Um, nothing is really predictable as well anymore, and a lot of it is about leaders kind of letting go and allowing things to emerge, allowing ideas, allowing people to innovate, be creative in, uh, you know, throughout the organization. So we're just up on a break. And when we come back, I want to start to talk about an organization's innovation journey. But let's go to a break. My guests are uh, Robert E. Johnson Jr. and John Kleinman from Insignium. And this is Quantum Business Insights, and we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Our workplace is dynamically changing. How do you stay ahead of the curve with respect to learning and training? Tune in every week to The Future of Workforce Learning and Development with host Pamela Robinson. You'll learn about real-world strategies, solutions, and resources that will showcase these changes and keep you ready for what's next. The Future of Workforce Learning and Development is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rudd. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show 
at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and my guests are Robert E. Johnson, Jr. and John Kleinman from Insignium. And I encourage you to go to their website to learn more about their company. It's uh, www.insignium.com. And also, they have a quarterly magazine with all kinds of articles about innovation, enterprise transformation, strategy, growth, disruptive leaderships, leadership and all the things we've been talking about this morning and that is at insigniumquarterly.com so before the break we were talking about why innovation is important what's driving this need for innovation what are some of the companies that failed because they really didn't look at what was changing and they wanted to just base their future on their past and how it's important to really be more open to looking at new ideas and thinking outside the box, which is a well-worn term, but really does make sense here. If you think of the box being the way we've always done it in the past and companies that don't make it are often just because they're surprised by what comes in and, and replaces the product or service niche that they're filling. So, uh, we talked about how we ha- a company has to balance that, the, the need to be focused on what's keeping the company stable and profitable, as well as looking for almost disruptive, uh, if not new, other types of products and services. And so what I'd love to hear about is you're, you talk about when you have a new client, you take them on kind of an organizational innovation journey what what are the steps in that journey well yeah what we've observed olivia um as we've been working with global companies is that there's been a major shift over the last three decades and it's probably best illustrated um by the innovation journey that procter and gamble has been on Uh, since the early 80s. When we first had an opportunity to work with Procter & Gamble um, back in the 80s, they really had one and only one way to innovate um, outside of research and development. And that was an ad hoc approach to innovation. And it was virtually always the same recipe, meaning, meaning that the brand manager would um, charge the assistant brand manager with identifying new and improved opportunities for the brand. The assistant brand manager would form a team. Most often he would invent a process. Um, He'd have to keep his day job. Six months later, he would come back and report his findings to the brand manager. Team would be dissolved, task over. And then that would be repeated six months later. And this happened across 100 brand teams worldwide for P&G all through the 80s. But because Procter & Gamble had a legacy metric going back to the 1940s of doubling their top line every decade, ad hoc innovation couldn't get the job done with respect to that metric. So in the 1990s, moving forward on their innovation journey, what they did was create a dedicated infrastructure for innovation 
called Corporate New Ventures. And it was the first organization in a 150-year history of the company that was chartered to identify new growth opportunities outside the existing business sectors. And that group became responsible for Swiffer, White Strips, Thermacare, all billion-dollar new businesses. But you fast forward to the year 2000, and A.G. Lafley came into office as CEO, has that legacy mandate. The corporation's at $40 billion top line, and he's looking out the next 10 years as having to double that. Wow. Dedicated infrastructure wouldn't do it alone. So literally what you um, what was done was a mandate by A.G. Lafley to the whole organization, enterprise-wide, if you were an employee of P&G in the year 2000, then you knew that part of your responsibility was the innovative growth of the company. Fast forward to 2008, they're at $80 billion. So the journey that we saw P&G on for 30 years is the same journey that we're seeing all across the world by virtually every company, whether or not it recognizes it's on its innovation journey. It typically begins ad hoc, moves through a dedicated infrastructure, which re it reflects the seriousness of innovation to the future of the company. And then you see some companies moving on to what we would describe as at P&G, a leading edge practice. Can I ask in the leading edge aspect of it, or, or maybe just in the P&G example, were those people still only doing this after their day job, or was was that team that really innovated in the last few years primarily working on innovation? How was that structured? Yes, it's fascinating. Um, it wasn't in addition to the day jobs. Um, the day jobs became, uh, in part, the innovative growth of the company. So it wasn't just now the launching of new products and new services by employees within P&G. Now, if you were in a functional area, say packaging or manufacturing, you were seen as having a role as an important innovator for the company. Wow, that's powerful. And that really speaks to their commitment to create a culture of innovation, uh, you know, making sure that the, the culture that touches not only the people who work in R&D or marketing or other uh, functions that you would traditionally think of as important to innovation, but really creating a culture where that management mandate that was very clear at P&G uh, that each person in the in the organization, regardless of where they sit and regardless of what their functional accountability is, understands that innovation is part of their role in the organization and that they're actually being counted on to generate innovation and to move the company along that innovation journey. And then what goes hand in hand with that is – does the organization have a creative process for handling innovation? So mm -hmm. I might be sitting, you know, in my office in Taiwan. I come up with an innovative idea for how we can handle payroll more effectively. 
But if I don't know where to go to take that idea, if there's not a clear process that's really designed to strengthen and support our innovation commitment, then oftentimes those good ideas go uh, unnoticed or unexpressed. So in addition to the management mandate and that dedicated infrastructure that Bob spoke about, we feel that it's critical that organizations focus on a supportive culture, one in which people are clear about their role in the innovation journey, and then a process that makes sure that those innovation ideas are captured and moved through the appropriate channels. And possibly even rewarded, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want want to go back a a couple thoughts because it felt like you made a really important point, which was that up until there was maybe a dedicated team working on new products and services, and then it expanded to the entire company. And so it sounds like not only was everyone tasked to come up with new products and services, but also innovative ways to streamline and save money. And you mentioned the improved payroll. So now we're seeing anybody that may not know how to come up with a new product, but might see a way to improve a process that would be considered an innovation. Is that true? Absolutely. And, you know, again, oftentimes when people talk about innovation, what immediately comes to mind is new product, new and exciting product, right? The, you know, a a few years ago, the iPad, you know, an obvious example uh, of an innovation, something that brought real uh, value and that the customer saw as being valuable, which is obviously the ultimate test. But there's opportunities for innovation in every part of of an organization. And part of the company going on their innovation journey is looking for how can we shine a light in the corners of of our company? How can we illuminate areas of our organization where typically we might not be looking for those kinds of uh, innovations? Mm -hmm. And part of the the work that we support our clients in doing is in identifying uh, what Bob and Doug talk about in their book as strategic frontiers, Mm, yeah. Uh, oftentimes, uh, and, and we identify three different horizons uh, in, in looking out in those strategic frontiers. Uh, the horizon one are things that are pretty much our core business. They're, you know, they're visible new opportunities. You don't have to look very far to see, okay, well, if we could, you know, dial this up a little bit, or turn that down a little bit, maybe that would be viewed as being valuable. Uh, And so that would be a horizon one uh, opportunity. Horizon two would be uh, things that are adjacent to our existing business. Uh, You know, when uh, when the Walt Disney Company uh, decided to go into the cruise line business, that was a good example of a horizon two innovation. Right. We're already familiar with families. We already know how to do hospitality. We already knew how to do entertainment. So essentially, let's take what we do on land and put it on water. And it's been you know, a huge success for them. And then there's Horizon 3 frontier opportunities, which are the real breakthrough opportunities. They're, they're visionary. They take us into new spaces, into new markets, into new business models. And those are the ones, obviously, that require the organization stretching 
their thinking uh, in new and creative ways. But the thing that we find so exciting and and in working with our our clients and why we always have them start out by focusing on those horizon three breakthrough frontiers is that as they start to develop those possibilities and those opportunities, they wind up developing horizon two and horizon one opportunities along the way. We like to say that if you, if you, focus on horizon three, you get horizon one and horizon two for free. Just kind of comes along with the conversation. But it's important that organizations keep their eye and keep their focus on all three of those horizons because there's opportunities that exist in each. Right. Okay. Well, so that makes a lot of sense. In fact, when you were talking about horizon one, making a slight slight tweak, that's where we've seen the iPod change perhaps, and then maybe a horizon two for that model would be the iPad. And then that changing size would be the horizon one aspect of the iPad and um, something completely different. Well, I don't even <laughs> know yeah. where, where to go because they're so good at that. But, but and, that, and you know, Olivia, there's a almost profound, um, uh, financial value to managing your innovation portfolio the way John has laid it out. And an article in the Harvard Business Review about a year ago uh, addressed the importance of managing your innovation portfolio and making sure that you're making um, the size of bets that you want to be making Mm -hmm. across all three horizons. But then the surprising finding among the best companies who have an innovation portfolio is that their investment distribution typically is 70% horizon one, 20% horizon two, and 10% horizon three, while the returns are the inverse of that. 10% horizon one, 20% horizon two, and 70% horizon three. So just knowing that, I would think Um, senior leadership uh, would want to make an effort to ensure that they are at least making some bets in that third horizon. That makes sense. I could see somebody looking at this and saying, well, now we should just put 70% into horizon three, but that may actually cause unforeseen problems. But, But I think what you're saying is they need to put something there and, and keep things stable, but still that's where the biggest return will be. Exactly right. And we have a, a case example of what you're describing. Um, a few years back, the CEO and uh, global technology officer at the 3M company in Minneapolis, Minnesota, became concerned that their company was becoming known um, in terms of its innovation capabilities as only being able to produce the next post-it note line extension. Mm -hmm. And that concerned them. So what they did was retain us to work with them to create a new proprietary process called customer inspired innovation, whereby they took 20% of their R&D funds, they set it aside for customer-inspired innovation, 
And then they set specific criteria for getting access to those funds. And the four criteria were the idea needed to have a hundred million dollar potential. It needed to be global in scope. It needed to use proprietary 3M um, technology, and it needed to change the basis of competition. After four years, the CEO valued that new pipeline at over $4 billion. Amazing. That's top line revenue that they would not have seen if they hadn't made the investment in what could be described as um, Horizon 3 opportunities. So it sounds like their leadership is completely behind this and that they're doing things structurally. I think 3M is famous even historically for being very focused on innovation, and it sounds like they just took it to the next level based on your your coaching and um, consulting that really made it work for them. So what are some of the forces that work against innovation? Well, there's... Uh, in in terms of what gets in the way of you know these creative ideas manifesting themselves in innovation, there's three key areas that we uh, have observed and and we consult our clients in. The first is uh, what we call corporate gravity, uh, and like the gravity that you and I experience, uh, it's an invisible force, so it's not tangible. It makes it difficult for executives to get their hands on, but <clears throat> nevertheless, it exerts uh, tremendous power in keeping employees uh, and keeping people who are working on innovation from venturing too far beyond the organization's current business model. Uh, it actually uh, holds people to what's had us be successful in the past and what has us be successful today and uh, actually works against them venturing too far beyond and uh, as uh, uh, gravity will do, keeps them from you know, floating off into space, if you will. <laughs> right. The what? second – yep. Go ahead. Want me to continue? <laughs> yes. Yeah, sure. The second uh, we, we call the corporate immune system and like – uh, our body's immune system, uh, it's there both to protect and also to reject anything that it views as a threat. So uh, what we work with our clients to do is to observe and to ultimately dismantle the corporate systems, policies, and procedures that are protecting the current business model from the potentially damaging effects that change can have. Obviously, there's benefits to that, um, but uh, in that it, it does, in fact, protect the organization, but left unexamined, uh, it can actually work to repel ideas, innovations that could actually improve the system. And then the third uh, force that we work on is what we call corporate myopia. Uh, so as with uh, our vision, um, you know, corporate myopia is uh, a condition where the urgency of today's business, uh, the urgency that many organizations find themselves in needing to meet today's numbers, 
quarterly expectations, the street's expectations. That uh, nearsighted focus can actually supersede and cloud the importance of uh, future business, longer-term opportunities, those Horizon 3 innovations that we uh, and opportunities that we talked about earlier. So by impacting the corporate gravity, the corporate immune system, and corporate myopia, we can start to free up companies to be able to be much more effective along their innovation journey. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. We're up on a break. I do want to dig into some of these when we come back, but we do need to go to commercial. So you're listening to Quantum Business Insights. I'm Olivia Parrud. My guests, Robert Johnson and John Kleiman from Insignium. I encourage you to go to their website, insignium.com, and we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm with John Kleiman and Bob Johnston of Insignium. And before the break, we were talking about the forces that get in the way of innovation. The first one was corporate gravity. Uh, the second one was the corporate immune system. The third one, corporate myopia. So things that really cause businesses to contract and make it unable to innovate. And so I'm curious because I'm always interested in how people are fa- affected by these processes. When you go into a team where, say, the leader wants to bypass, get rid of all the – really succeed in lieu of these forces, how do you get people outside of their comfort zone when it comes to innovation? Yeah, it's a great question and, and really at the core of uh, a lot of the value that we bring to our our clients on their innovation journey. Inside of being able to have people think differently, uh, see new opportunities, take different actions, because at the end of the day, that's what it all boils down to. 
uh, our starting point is to really get underneath uh, and address the origins of what people would refer to as resistance to change. All right, that's certainly a phrase that you hear thrown around quite a bit in uh, in business conversations. Um, and, and there's there's some real uh, dynamics going on there. Uh, but just saying, well, people resist change uh, doesn't really give people uh, any access to impacting it or to making a difference. So uh, there's many, many different ways of, of addressing that. One of the key aspects of resistance to change is that you and I, all human beings, uh, fall into particular patterns of thought, patterns of behavior, patterns of action. Uh, we get into uh, our comfort zone, if you will, and, and oftentimes those are reinforced both because we're producing results, so why wouldn't you keep thinking the way you've been thinking and doing things the way you've been doing them, but we also get rewarded for those as well. And so one of the first steps in being able to break up what's perceived as resistance to change is to understand how people working in the organization view their work. Literally, when they come into work in the morning, they get ready to work on a project. How does that project occur for them at a very individual and very personal level? Because in some cases, if my boss says, we're going to innovate this new process that impacts you every day. You know, I might view that change as a tremendous opportunity. I might see it as I'm going to be able to be more creative. I'm going to have more freedom. It's going to give me an opportunity to, to try new things. And therefore, my thinking drives my behavior and my actions will be consistent with somebody who views what's in front of them as an opportunity. The person sitting right next to me who does the exact same job that I do might view the exact same change as a threat. They've been doing it for many, many years. They figured out the system. They know how to work the system, if you will. Uh, they know when they need to go outside of the system to get things done. And all of a sudden, the rules of the game are changing. Something that I've been very comfortable with, even if I complain about it from time to time, is now all of a sudden being disrupted. And so understanding what those, are, what those conversations are, understanding how people at an individual and then at a team and organizational level view the change is really, we think, the first step in being able to free people up to actually embrace the change. You know, at the end of the day, people in organizations come to work, they want to make a difference. They want to play in a game that they know they've at least got a decent shot at winning at. And oftentimes when there's significant change happening in the organization, which is the case in most innovation uh, projects, they need to be able to see that they can actually win in this new game. They need to be able to see that they've got the right equipment, the right training, the right skills, the right support, so that in that new created future, they're going to have an opportunity to be successful. Oh, that makes perfect sense. And I'd love to have you both uh, or one of you share about the forces that enable innovation. I was going to ask about compensation in terms of getting people outside their comfort zone, but I'm sure that's a really a good general way of motivating it. So please share a little bit about the forces that enable innovation. Yes, Olivia. You know, we've been dancing around um, 
during this conversation what we've observed to be um, a mega trend uh, with respect to global innovation. And, and that is more and more companies uh, looking to have innovation enterprise-wide. The P&G certainly was an example of that. 3M certainly would be an example of that. But there are more and more companies recognizing that. And the, the force they're unleashing is the creative potential of all of its employees. Mm. And we've had the opportunity um, to work over the last three years with a consumer packaged goods company in Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, in fact, John and I will be there in two weeks' time. It'll be my 10th trip over the last three years. The um, chairman of the board uh, came across our book, the book that you've mentioned to the audience, and decided that he wanted that for his company from the boardroom to the factory floor. So my co-author, Doug Bate, and I uh, went over on our first trip and um, ran an Unleashing Creativity and Innovation workshop for everyone, again, from the boardroom to the factory floor. It included 650 factory workers from 12 different tribes, half of which were illiterate. And I've got to tell you, um, once they understood the principles of creativity and innovation and had the opportunity to apply those principles and tools to the design of their new factory, which is now being built, um, they were as potent an innovation force as any I've worked with. That's so, so inspiring. Yeah. Well, th you see, this is... Um, uh, this is the opportunity that every chief executive has mm -hmm. because in the creativity research reaching back a hundred years, literally the initial research was all about what we call big C creativity, the Einsteins, the Fords, um, you pick your genius. And very quickly they went into little C creativity and little C creativity is in every single person. And all they need to do is to understand the principles and tools for um, growing it. And uh, once unleashed, uh, as with our client in South Africa, whose business is exploding with the best year they've ever had in their history, 2013, and now they want more. Now they're looking to dramatically grow their business even faster based in part on their enterprise-wide innovation. So that, that would be one force. A second force would be, again, something we, we referenced um, earlier, and, and that's um, supporting uh, and creating new infrastructure to um, uh, enable the innovation mandate. And we're seeing that with innovation now moving into the C-suite. The fastest growing executive title um, in global business is chief innovation officer. It grew by a third last year. And we're also seeing um, space dedicated for innovation teams. Again, referencing back to our client in South Africa, um, they created an innovation lab, which their 20 plus innovation teams have access to 24 seven. 
And a third is um, what we consider to be, in many ways, the most important. And that's a loud mandate for innovation from the CEO and the C-suite. And an example uh, of that, quickly, would be when Whirlpool established um, its mandate for enterprise-wide innovation several years ago. Uh, The CEO created a a fund for the innovation teams, and he called in a senior vice president to manage that fund. And I heard this senior vice president um, speak uh, a while back, and what she shared with the audience was that in that meeting, the CEO said, uh, you're in charge of this fund with your team. And by the way, over the next year, if someone approaches you for money for their innovation work and you say no to them, I have a fund and I'm going to give them the money. Yeah. So that for us would be a loud innovation mandate. That's very impressive. Uh, so, uh, do these companies um, support I, – I, I guess I'd like you to share a little bit about maybe how individuals are supported, somebody on the factory floor. If they, Can you talk a little bit about maybe an example of how a, a system might work so that they would be inspired to share an idea and maybe how it's tracked and how they get rewarded for it? Sure. Uh, you know, you mentioned Daniel Pink before in in, uh, in his book, uh, Drive, he talks uh, a lot about uh, autonomy as something that uh, is really a, a motivating factor for for people. And he, he shared, uh, I believe it was in the book, he actually had a chance to have a conversation with him uh, not too long ago. I don't remember if it was in the book or in our conversation, but he spoke about a, a, a software company that was interested in generating innovation from all employees. And they created uh, a practice that they called FedEx Days after the company Federal Express. And uh, the company set aside uh, a certain number of Fridays uh, over the course of the year um, where people could work on anything that they wanted to. It was a software company, so typically people would take that time to work on bug fixes that were kind of their own pet peeve or ways that they could see to enhance the product. And the only stipulation was that they had to be able to deliver an idea, a solution, a new possibility or opportunity overnight, hence the FedEx name. And so setting aside this time uh, really allowed people to exercise their creativity and innovation muscle. Uh, and one of the things that we've really found, as Bob said, is that anybody has the opportunity to to generate little c creativity, but it's like any other muscle. The more that you use it, the stronger it becomes, and the more opportunities organizations can give their people to exercise those muscles, the stronger they'll become uh, as they move along their innovation journey. Wow, thank you. And I I regret it. I've enjoyed this so much, but it looks like we're out of time. So, John and Bob, thank you so much for being my guest today, and I hope you'll come back and visit us again. Our pleasure. Thanks so much for having us, Olivia. Thank you, Olivia. You're welcome. So next week, my guests will be Dr. Julie Roberts and Mercedes Alonzo. We'll be delving into the skills necessary to be an effective leader of groups, which is so important in business today, and especially if you're fostering innovation because the groups can be quite exciting and, and volatile and um, 
and disruptive and all those wonderful things that we're seeing as we support innovation. So you will not want to miss this. Thank you for tuning into Quantum Business Insights. I'm your host, Olivia Parud, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week.